0: Hello and welcome to the Filmmaking Stuff podcast, where you'll get insider tactics on how to make, market, and sell your movie without the middleman. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host, LA-based motion picture executive, Jason Brubaker.
1: Hey filmmakers, joining us today is Kylie Eden. Uh, she's a director and writer based in Los Angeles. She's delivered music videos from major labels such as Republic Records and Capital Music Group. Her second short film, Dispel, is now screening at Academy Accredited Film Festivals. Uh, She's also a member of of the Alliance of Women in Film, and I'm just really happy to have you on the show today. Welcome.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
1: You know, one of the fun parts about just getting to know you as best as somebody can get to know somebody through email is you actually Mm -hmm. have a publicist for your short film. And because I teach entrepreneurial filmmaking over here at Filmmaking Stuff, I thought, wow, that's really entrepreneurial of you. Um, so, and, and what really struck out to me is most people don't hire a publicist for a short film. So what what gave mm-hmm. you an inclination to hire a publicist and, and what's your grandiose vision for the film?
0: Well, you know, I, um, for my first short film, didn't. And I did a lot of that sort of work myself. Um, but with this uh, particular short film, Dispel, we sort of, we put a lot behind it. And it was one of those things where I tried to think of what was best for the film versus, you know, kind of any ego around it. Um, I'm not the best at social media. There are people that are better than me. I'm not the best at, you know, finding different opportunities. So I wanted to give the film sort of a chance to be seen by as many people as possible. So Yeah, that was kind of the inclination to to reach out and and find someone who had experience with short films and... I kind of did some research and and found a company that had done a short film. Uh, one of my friends had actually uh, made they had done the PR on it, and so I just I reached out to them and it's been a really fun experience getting to not only you know see what they're doing for the film but also learn from them um, you know some of their strategies and and their marketing uh, you know uh, how they how they work that for this particular sort of product.
1: And I love it that you use the word product, by the way, you know, I've been working in film distribution for a long time. And when you hear distributors talk, they always describe it as motion picture product. Um, mm-hmm. Is that through your own experience that you just described it as product? Or is that just something that that you see as well when you look at the, the market as a whole?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, as a filmmaker, once it's done, I kind of have to like, step back a bit from the project and, and sort of divorce myself from that, you know, creative part and actually look at it as a product of like, how do we get eyes on this? How do we promote it the best? Um, and I think sort of seeing it as a product then, I mean, that's that's what it is. I'm trying to to reach audiences with it. And I think it's, it's helpful to sort of, you know, separate it from like the emotional creative side um, by referring to it as that or, or, you know, thinking of it that way.
1: Well, the actual story itself, how did that come about?
0: The story of Dispel was sort of, it was something that a couple different ideas came together. Um, I had wanted to do something of an homage to 80s and 90s genre films and television that I had grown up watching, Um, and I kind of had this idea for a character called Celeste Skygood, and it was sort of ruminating in my head and, and I couldn't quite find the right angle. And then one day I just, I remembered this really important moment in my life when my two older siblings who are eight and 11 years older than me, they had both moved out and I was sort of the only kid left at home. And I was like, yeah, that was a big moment of change in my life. And so that kind of paired with this kid that was obsessed with, you know, TV and fantasy and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of how the story grew Was was once I put those two ideas together.
1: And if you don't mind me asking, and you'll have to forgive my ignorance, but I'm an only child, so can you describe <laughs> that experience of when your siblings move out? I have no idea what that's like.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. My husband's an only child, and so he kind of had the same question for me. But I think, you know, older siblings especially um, are kind of like – especially when they're significantly older than you they're kind of like your your second set of parents or you know your guardians they're the ones that are watching out for you at at school or when you're you know they're taking care of you after school I think that's sort of you know a thing where um it's it's a different relationship and it's, it's a really close relationship. And so, you know, I think kids that are closer in age, it's, it's less of a thing, but when you're far apart and then they're all of a sudden adults and you're still a kid, I think it's a very jarring experience for you.
1: Yeah. So in a sense you did get to experience the only child kind of yeah. Yeah. life where you have yeah. to, you have to find uh, ways to, to entertain yourself.
0: Exactly. I was kind of like half of my childhood was with siblings and then half without. So it was it was an interesting experience. But, you know, once you're all adults, then you're kind of on the same level again. But that was that was definitely a big moment of change in my life from having that sort of safety net to not having it anymore.
1: And when you talk about safety net and I I don't want to give away any spoilers here, but, Mm -hmm. you know, this is in the trailer. There seems to be some sort of uh, creature that enters the scene
0: yeah, I think like it's not a spoiler to say because I've talked about it enough that um, the way that Lizzie, the main character who's you know thirteen, she she views her mom as this monster that from the TV show that she's uh, very into. Um, and so she starts to see her mom through that lens of, of fantasy sci-fi and um, kind of has to learn what is actually going on um, underneath that sort of scary exterior.
1: Yeah, and can you dive into the casting just a little bit more? Because it, it looks like it looks like you definitely and, and obviously we talked about that in your bio that you're a member of mm-hmm. the Alliance of Women and um, the other part that sticks out to me too is that you're that you're really targeting Academy accredited film festivals.
0: Yeah, I think you know first of all with with the casting question, um, when I started writing the script, I kind of always had. Gina Torres in my head of, of the character of Celeste, just because I've been a fan of her for years and I've always wanted to see her in that kind of superhero role. Um and so when we went into casting it was like, well let's let's reach out just for a laugh and you know, then we'll move on and, and find some other people that are kind of in that vein. But she Loved the script and the concept artwork that we had done and jumped on right away. And and that was um, a really exciting experience for me um, to get to work with her. And then from there, it was really important to me to, um, you know, find a little girl to play the main character that would look up to someone like Gina Torres to, to, you know, as someone that looked like her as a hero. Um, I think that was really important to me was bringing representation into the casting process and I kept it I kept it open I didn't specify any ethnicity or anything with the casting but uh, we had seen Eris Baker on This Is Us and we we loved her and thought she was super talented and and we were lucky enough that she came in and and was just perfect for the role and so that you know along with like the script and and setting up sort of a main character that's female and a, a sort of antagonist that's female and then a mentor that's female it's it, it sort of became this very representative experience of bringing a movie together that's full of women and full of people of color um, to really really celebrate that and really try and push for more of that um, in the industry
1: And was that pretty apparent when you went through the casting process? I, I guess my question is did you reach out through the conventional, uh, pathway? Like, did you go to an agent or a manager? How did you go about finding the cast to begin with?
0: Yeah, we did. We did sort of the traditional reaching out to their representation. And, you know, I, I actually found, strangely enough, we had done concept art just because, you know, we needed to get some stuff sort of down visually for, you know, our, our production designer, our costume designer, all that kind of stuff, our special effects makeup artist. But the the concept art really kind of grabbed the attention of the actors as well. Um, and so that I think was part of, part of the reason that, you know, I was able to set up a phone call with Gina and and talk to her about the project and, and, you know, get Eris on board as well. And, and so it was a traditional route. There wasn't any sort of like little, you know, magical thing that happened, but it was, you know, I think once you're able to get in contact with, with that kind of talent and you're able to talk to them and, really just go through what the project's about. I think that's kind of where the magic happens.
1: And were you able to reach out to the representation because you also have those relationships or was it kind of a cold contact?
0: It was our our casting directors, Treadwell Kelly Casting, they, I believe, had worked with... um, gina's agent before for another client of of his so they sort of already had that relationship which was really nice to like not have to go in cold with like here's a random project um which i'm sure she gets tons of um so it was nice that they had already had that relationship and i think that was really helpful for us just getting in the door
1: yeah and and i'm asking these questions too because i know there's a lot of listeners that are that are thinking like gee i want to get some recognizable cast in my next short film how do Mm -hmm. i go about doing that and if I'm hearing yeah. you correctly, you started, although we did go the conventional route and what you're saying, you also started by, I assume you hired a casting director or you have a relationship there?
0: Yeah, we, we hired, uh, we had gotten referred from a friend to uh, these two ladies who are casting directors. Um, and I had I actually never worked with casting directors before and it was it was kind of because we knew we were going to try and attach some names to it that we went that route. But I can't I can't recommend it enough, not just for if you're trying to get names, but also if you're working with, you know, kids. They they have they brought so much insight to it. You know, I think in the script I had her originally as like 15 and they were like, 15 year olds are, (laughs) are much older than you think they are. And so, you know, we, we brought in the casting to looking for like 10 to 14 year olds. and, And that was, that was a help to just have their expertise on. They've worked with casting kids before they, they sort of know different worlds that, you know, as a, I'm always like a DIY director of like doing everything myself. So I, I can't delve as deeply into each and every job position that I try and cover. So that was, that was really helpful to have their, their background in that.
1: And how does that work? Do you just, you find a casting director through either recommendations or you do a Google search or how did you go about finding the casting directors? <sighs>
0: Yeah, you know, it was through a recommendation of a friend I have that's an agent, and she just happened to know these casting directors, Um, and that's kind of how most of my hiring goes is recommendations. I always find that's kind of the easiest way to go about it, but I've also done my fair share of... Google searches <laughs> in my, in my hiring process as well.
1: And, and I don't, I don't mean to belabor this, but I don't know a ton about hiring casting directors. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm personally very interested as I'm sure our listeners are. So, yeah. so when you reach out to a casting director and in this case you had, you knew somebody who knew somebody
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and that introduction was made, um, do they just, how do you, how do you pay them? Is it a day rate or is it just for the job or how does that work?
0: You know, I think there's different ways that they go about it. For us, we just did sort of a flat fee and, and, you know, they basically read the script, looked over how many people we were trying to cast, kind of what sort of scope we were casting. And, and they, they gave us a, a quote from there. Um, so I think, I think usually it's done on a per job basis, but um, there, there could be other ways to sort of work that as well.
1: Right, and then once you once you kind of uh, decide on who you want to cast, then you would make a separate agreement with their with the actual actors' representation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, then from there, there's sort of the you know the offer that is sent out um, by your casting directors, which you know they've talked to you or your producer about what the offer is going to be, and then they they sort of make the negotiate they initiate the the talks. And then, uh, yeah, they go from there until everybody reaches a, a happy medium and, and then sort of set up the deal memos and hand it over to production.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't mean to be blunt, um, you know, but I'm just so interested in, in just asking you, like, this, this sounds like an expensive film.
0: Uh, it w- it was. <laughs> we had uh, saved up, uh, my, my husband was producing it with me, and we had saved up for a while to do a bigger short film because I'd made a lot of smaller projects, I've done a ton of music videos, and this was, I. I basically waited for a while to be able to make something that was a real calling card of what I see myself as a director doing. You know, I really want to work in genre, I really want to work in fantasy and sci-fi. That's the goal. And so for me, it was worth it to wait and to forego making a few other projects to make this one bigger project of what really represented me as a filmmaker. And i that's obviously it's a gamble, but, uh, you know, it's one that I'm happy that I took a chance on.
1: Yeah. And, and um, you know, it's interesting because when I have conversations with filmmakers, you either go the well, you mentioned it earlier, you, you think of yourself as a do it yourself or. And mm. everything that you're telling me here really sheds light on the fact that it, it sounds like you were ready to level up your career.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a a much different experience on set just because I wasn't trying to do everything myself. I think it's so important to have that background of doing your own production design, and and you know for me I learned a little bit of visual effects for previous projects because I just you learn the language and you learn how to talk to people who are sort of experts in that field that you might feel intimidated having those conversations with. So I think all of the years I spent trying to do everything myself is a benefit, you know, to when you're actually hiring people. And, you know, it it was a a great experience because I got to show up and just direct. (laughs) So that was a really, really nice experience for me. And I felt like, you know, I was able to get the performances I was looking for. I was able to, you know, shoot scenes the way I had intended them just because my attention wasn't divided between 100 different things.
1: Yeah, and in your your attention's not divided between 100 different things, which means you focus on, on creating the best work you can.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really I really found that to be the case. And I was super grateful to be able to do that for this project.
1: You you mentioned calling cards. So is that how you see this? Because you're also, I mean, you've gone beyond what I would consider just to be a calling card. I mean, we're having this Mm -hmm. conversation, as we mentioned, as a result of you hiring a publicist. And then you're also doing a festival strategy, but you're not just going to like, you know, Sally's regional film festival, wherever the heck that is, you're actually targeting Mm -hmm. some of the top film festivals.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I've learned from previous, uh, my last short, that if you really want to get the most out of a festival, first of all, you have to go. And so, you know, submitting to a million festivals and then getting in and trying to decide which to actually go to and and pare that stuff down, it it can be really challenging. And, you know, airfare is expensive, hotels are expensive, all that stuff adds up. So for us, we really sort of aimed to submit to those higher end festivals because that's where we wanted to sort of put our energy and and resources into. And it's been, it's been a really great experience to, to be amongst peers that their work is amazing and, and getting to meet those people and and learn from them as well.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, you know, what makes what you're doing interesting is you're not necessarily asking for permission. You've just kind Mm -hmm. of taken things to the next level.
0: Yeah, you know, I think for a long time, I was waiting for someone to give me permission to do what I wanted. And I realized that that doesn't happen. You know, it doesn't just magically happen that someone's like, and here's a film for you to direct, like you have to go out and you have to make your own opportunities. You have to create what you want to create and really focus on telling the stories that are unique to you. And, and that's been sort of the greatest lesson that I've learned in filmmaking is if you want to make something, figure out how to make it. And, you know, everything will fall into place from there.
1: How are your relationships or how do you feel your relationships are with uh, some of the people you've hired throughout this process?
0: I mean, it's, that's part of the fun of film, right? Is you're like stuck on a set with people for however long and you just naturally kind of develop friendships. I think that's, you know, when I look back on, on a shoot that I've done, it's always the the memories of like people hanging out at lunch or, you know, between takes joking around and, and being able to form those, those friendships I think is a really special thing. And it's, it's something that, you know, I just shot another little project and, Our costume designer from Dispel was out on it. Our key set PA from Dispel was first ADing for us on it, and you know the same same camera team and and a lot of the a lot of similar people were on it. And I think that's when you find people that you work with well. I think that's super valuable, and you start building this little family of of people that you want to work with over and over at whatever level you're at, Um, and when when they're game to like come out and and do the stuff like that's that's the best feeling of of just you know it's always a balance of like the the comfort of people you've worked with before and then the excitement of new people you get to work with every time as well
1: yeah and it oftentimes feels like summer camp
0: yeah it can you know the last project i shot was um out in indiana so it was kind of like away from la but some of my friends were out there and, and we were working with some new people as well so it was like it was a little summer camp experience and it's just, you know, the, you know, making a film is stressful, but you have to find those little, those little things that give you some sort of like stress relief and joy. And, and for me, it's always like the people I get to work with.
1: Yeah. And I wouldn't ask you, I mean, it's easy in these conversations to just focus on all the things that went super smooth, but what, mm-hmm. what was most stressful for you and what lessons did you learn from it?
0: Oh, my gosh. On Dispel, I would say probably the most stressful thing that happened was we lost a location a few days before we were supposed to shoot. You
1: lost a a location?
0: We lost a location. um, And that was really difficult because we had scouted, we had planned, we had sort of set up all the shot lists and everything based off of that and it the it just fell through at the last minute and that's Ooh. it's such a difficult thing um, but luckily i had a brilliant producer julia kennelly who stayed positive and we we stayed positive on it and it was it was hard cuz the location was kind of three different locations in one so we were like where are we going to find this how are we going to do it this quickly so we very very quickly shifted our our shoot dates so that location was going to be the last day of shooting. So that gave us a buffer of a couple extra days. And we just sort of brainstormed with everyone. And then our other producer, Eric, was like, wait, there's this place a couple blocks away that could be all of those. He's like, it's the place I go swim. It's like the Burbank Aquatic Center, but it kind of looks like a high school. It's got some rooms that look like a treatment center. Like, we we can make this work. And so, you know, I think the the that was definitely the biggest challenge and, and we solved it by first of all staying calm second of all being flexible about how we would rearrange our shoot dates and, and luckily everyone was on board with that and then by just listening to ideas from everyone you know i think when it's something goes wrong and you don't necessarily have the answer right away you listen to everyone on your crew you listen to everyone's ideas and that's sort of where the solution going to come from
1: that can be hard for people uh so you know you've heard stories about People on set where it's their way or the highway. And yeah. obviously, that's never, I don't think that's ever a good experience for anybody. But at the same time, when you're creating your own work, there is mm-hmm. a vision. And did you have to overcome certain parts of yourself that wanted to be stubborn about it?
0: I mean, I think in general, I'm a pretty stubborn person and I'm a very, uh, you know, I like, I like to be in control and, and know that things are happening. But that was one of the things with the spell with, you know, some challenges that came up and also with basically being able to hire a full crew meant that I also was handing over control of things like production design or costumes or, you know, whatever the case may be. Handing over the control and, and learning to trust the people you hire is it's a scary thing, you know? And and I think that I learned a lot of lessons in terms of you know, just stepping aside and, and once you have that strong vision, once you've communicated that vision, um, I think that you're shortchanging yourself if you don't listen to other people because the best ideas sort of come up that way. And and filmmaking is a collaborative medium, you know, as a director, I look at myself as sort of a mediator and sort of the protector of the project. Um, But, you know, I'm not I'm not in control of absolutely everything that happens. And it's it's freeing that way because you can really focus on the things that you need to focus on as a director
1: what what kind of advice would you have? And you're already giving some great advice, but is there, is there like a single like piece of advice that you wish you knew when that you'd love to share with folks?
0: Yeah, I think I touched on it a little bit earlier, but I think learning to, um, sort of see your own voice as your biggest asset. Um, I think that You know, there are so many talented filmmakers in the world, there are people that are amazing at, you know, their craft, they're very persistent, they're dedicated, they're passionate, like, there's a lot of people that have those qualities, and you you definitely need those qualities to be a filmmaker, but the only thing you have that no one else does is your own voice. Um, And I think uh, for a long time, I was very, very focused, especially in the writing stage on what's going to be marketable, what's going to fit into, you know, the current environment of film, what's going to fit in with what other people are doing. And I just... I kept hitting brick walls that way. And it wasn't until I sort of embraced my own unique voice that I started getting any sort of success at all. And I think that that's also a way to, to steer away from being too derivative or repetitive of other other films and, and just learning to embrace whatever makes you unique. And sometimes I can feel weird, but like that's where the best films come from are those unique, weird perspectives.
1: What's your plan moving forward for the film?
0: Um, we still have a few more festivals to play, and then it goes online at the end of the month, which I'm super excited about. To like, just anyone that wants to see it can can go to YouTube and see it. So that's really exciting for me to get it sort of out into the world and. You know, I think there's always sort of in the back of my mind and and sort of, you know, the back of my my journals that I write in, you know, there's ideas for, um, you know, a more extended version of it, whether it be a feature version or, or something more episodic. But I think that we worked so long on, on building the world and building these characters that there's just... So much more to explore there that if the opportunity ever comes up, I, I would I would love to explore it more.
1: Well, there's been a lot of examples of people that got their work out into places like YouTube, and as it gained popularity, then you're able to leverage that popularity for further exploitation yeah. of, the, of the intellectual property. So, you know, I, instinctually, that seems like a pretty good way to go.
0: Yeah, I think it's um it's all about sort of like the timing and getting everything right. But for me as a filmmaker, really what I can focus on is, you know, like we talked about earlier, you're publicizing it as much as possible, getting it getting as many eyes on it as possible, and then just being open and, and working on the world further and, and coming up with these ideas and, and creating more sort of stories and opportunities that if, you know, the stars ever align for a, a longer feature length version of it, I'm, I'm ready to go.
1: Well, Kylie, I appreciate you coming on the show today and, and sharing some wisdom. Um, it, it certainly sounds like you've put together a great project and we'll be looking forward to watching it on YouTube.
0: Thank you. I I hope you enjoy it. And it's been a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of the Filmmaking Stuff podcast with Jason Brubaker. If you like our show and want to get more filmmaking info, make sure you check out filmmakingstuff.com
1: and join us every week for new filmmaking tactics. Until next time, take action and make your movie now.